Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you very much. Nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. Ash London. This girl knows so much about music. She's such a pro. Hi, I'm Ash Ash London Live. Ash London Live. Ash London Live Feed. For many, many years of my life and career, I just said yes and I did what I was supposed to do because I didn't want to let people down. I wanted people to like me. And of course, especially as a woman, you think, well, if I leave this job, I'm never going to get another job. And I actually did feel that way in the end. I was like, oh, gosh, okay, there are finite jobs available for women. I've made a mistake. Working in music and media is not easy. It's also not instant. It takes years of hustle, unpaid gigs, networking, and a lot of persistence to get your name out there. I know the grind all too well, so I was absolutely shocked in 2016 to read that radio and TV presenter Ash London was giving up her dream job at the age of 29 to move to a tropical, tiny, tiny island. It was a big, bold, risky decision at a time when you're expected to have everything together, but a YOLO moment that worked out better than what Ash could have ever imagined. I've been wanting to speak with Ash London for a really long time. We used to share the same radio slot, so you could call us rivals, but we saw it differently. Ash was the first person I thought of when creating this project, and I'm so stoked that you now get to hear us, together, figuring out 30. London, so excited to have you on my podcast. I'm happy to be here. I don't do this often, especially these days, but I have always felt an affinity with you, not just because, you know, of our jobs, but you know, there's a vibe. There is a vibe. I've always wanted to have an on-air moment with you and we haven't, we haven't had it. Like, and I thought if it was going to happen, it would be on radio about music, but this is completely different. It's true, but I think that often happens because heaps of my friends are on radio but never on the same network. Mm. So we appreciate each other and we know that it would be a good vibe, but it very rarely happens. Yeah. Now we all have podcasts, so we can make it happen. (laughs) I know. That's the thing, though. Um, You know, we were on the same uh, kind of slot in the evenings and technically competitors, but I always felt, I don't know, like a strong sense of comfort. You know, I was on the well, and still am on the public broadcaster, you're on commercial, but both kind of, you know, with that same goal, especially in terms of like Australian music. So it was always really comforting. And I was really sad, you know, when you announced you were wrapping up, how are you feeling not being on radio? You're obviously still on air in the capacity of podcasting and audio projects, but what's it like off radio now? Well, I didn't know how it was going to be because, you know, after seven or eight years, it was so much a part of my identity, especially the fact the show is called Ashland Alive. It was kind of my baby, it had my name in it. And I wondered how I would go because often it's like you make the announcement, that's one thing, but then when it's like the new person replaces you and yada, 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 but it was definitely the right decision. So I feel great. 
Well, I'm glad you feel great. And yeah, it's so good that we can still hear you in, in podcast form and everything else that you're doing. And you were, you know, you were the first person that I thought of when I um, was planning this project of figuring out 30 and who I wanted to speak about, about turning 30, because I know you've been quite open, you know, about entering this stage of your life. Yeah, because it's a big deal, especially for, you know, for women. Yes. And we're going like, because it's actually biological, like you're, it's not just a concept that, you know, like as you get older, it's scary to get older or whatever, but like your body changes, like your emotions change. I found that the things I wanted in life changed Mm. and I had the kind of like all at once, like broke up with a guy I thought I was going to marry, quit my job, turn 30, all within like a couple of months. And I found myself literally like on a, literally on a desert island in the middle of the <laughs> sea, like, okay, well, I've got nothing left here. And then it, and it's something they say so often to female artists that I've interviewed over the years who are on the other side of 30, like, oh no, 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 no. It's actually the best. Just you wait, because it, came good for me. So I'm a very big fan of my 30s. We love. Well, where did you initially see yourself at 30? Like what did you envision for Ash and what she would have achieved at that age and I suppose by the age of 30? Yeah, well, obviously when I was like little, little, I thought I'd be like three kids deep at 30 because 30 is so old. (laughs) Then in my 20s, I was like, oh, hell no, 30s, you know, like I think I always hoped that I would have – my career sorted, like that I would have a TV show or a radio show or something like that. And it's funny, I thought that, like, I remember when I, Ash London Live started and part of me even thought, oh, this is a bit old for me to start a night show, like far out 30, like, geez, I'm about to give up my nights and all this stuff. And then I um, was, you know, was um, researching Zane Lowe for something and I realised that he started his night show on BBC Radio 1 when he was 30 and I was like, Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, if Zane can start at 30 doing night radio, that's fine. And then five years later, I still feel like I'm super young. You know what I mean? Like I thought, oh, I can't spend the first couple of years of my 30s working nights. But it was fine because 30 isn't old at all. It's really young. So when you were kind of in the lead up to turning 30, I remember following you on Instagram as this was kind of happening in real time, what was going on in your life leading up to your 30th birthday. And, and I remember just kind of watching with, you know, really big eyes. Do you want to kind of take us through, you know, because you mentioned before about um, yeah. kind of dropping everything, being literally on an island, like no what happens. was happening in your life leading up to turning 30? Well, I loved a boy who didn't love me back, Bridge. Isn't that just the start of so many big stories? Yeah, I thought he was the one and we broke up and then he went travelling and then while he was travelling, I kind of did the old like get fit, get healthy, realign my life and get happy again. And then at that time I was hosting a radio show with my best mate Angus, um, night show, and then this guy came back and begged to take me back. No. And I said, yes. No. And then he dumped me again. No. Okay, didn't know this. Yes. So at that point I was like, ugh. And I was like, you know, crying at work a lot. And it's not like I got dumped and then quit my job straight away. I think there was like probably like six months of 
you know, being single and adjusting to that new life. But more and more, I felt like I did fit in my own life. Like it just didn't line up with what I really wanted. Again, it wasn't my show. It was, I'd come in on an existing show. There was a bit more kind of entertainment gossip focused, whereas my passion was music. Mm. And I just wanted to just, and also I'd like growing up in a religious household and I'd never really kind of just let loose and live. You know what I mean? I'd always had a boyfriend who shared the same faith as me, even the one before him. So I, you know, I I just felt a bit like I just want to live and just run away from all this shit, which, you know, like you can do when you're 29, you're allowed to pack up and just walk out on your life. I can't do that now because I have actual responsibilities. (laughs) So I told my boss I'm quitting and they offered me like a pay rise. And I was like, nah, and I had to call my manager and be like, sorry, I'm quitting. Keeping in mind, you know, like that's money gone from her pocket. You know, mm. she's got this girl, the star on the rise that she's put in a radio show and she's going to hopefully have a breakfast show in a couple of years. And she's probably thinking, great. And then I call her one day and say, nah, I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm going to go. She's like, what? I'm so yeah. So I did. And I, um, got on a plane and my oldest friend who I grew up with overseas is a scuba dive instructor. And she was living on an Island called Malapasqua, which is literally like, you fly to Manila in the Philippines and you fly to another city called Cebu and then you get like a car or a bus for like four hours more and then you get on this local boat and the boat takes you 40 minutes to this random island in Illinois where it's probably like a kilometre long and it's where it's, like, it's got the best scuba diving in the world. People go there to scuba dive with thresher sharks. Of course, I am scared of scuba diving, so... Spent months there and like didn't even snorkel. I was like, well, I'll just have another mojito, thanks. <laughs> so I so I literally just got a room and spent a couple months doing nothing. Like I literally just did yoga every day, every morning and every night. I did yoga. This is a yoga hut, and then I read books and I wrote in my diary and I got really cheap massages and ate local food and just slobbed around for a while. And it was the best. Like literally. You know, when now I do a lot of meditation and a lot of meditation, you know, you have to take yourself to your happy place. And my happy place to this day is lying on that sand with an iced tea in my hand in this little cove. And that's where I go. It was just the best. And then I came home and I moved in. I had already moved in with my auntie and uncle at that point. So I was about to turn 30 single and living with my auntie and uncle and had given up on my dream jobs. Like, what a legend. (laughs) And then I was like, well, I'm just going to go traveling and then I'm going to move to London. Um, even though I'd already lived in London and couldn't get a visa because I'd already used my visa. I was like, no, nah, because that was my attitude back then, Bridge. Like, whatever. Life will just work out the way I need It'll it be to because uh, Exactly. I'm Ash and things work out for me. Wow. I went traveling, got to London, couldn't get a visa. And I spent like four months job interviews and meeting with radio stations who loved me, but I couldn't get a visa. And then I ran out of money. And I was like, oh, shit, I've ruined my life. What Did you actually I? think that? Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I've stuffed this up. Like I could have stayed and like made money and been cool. And instead I'm literally flying home from London with like 500 bucks to my name and nowhere to live. Like, no, I'm living with family and I have a job and I don't actually know what I'm going to do. No. And I felt like a bit of a loser. No, I mean, I think what you did was so brave and so ballsy, especially because, you know, we are made to feel, especially women, that we're meant to have our shit together by 
by the age of 30 and what you made was such a significant decision, but kind of going back to, you know, talking to your radio bosses and your manager, um, because yeah, like other people were affected. Other people obviously had expectations of you. How did you cope with the significance of that decision? Did you ever like, because I think it was for me, I would feel this huge sense of like, you know, it's both parts thrilling, but fuck, there'd be some anxiety there too. And especially when there are other people looking at you with their yeah. own expectations. And you don't want to let people down. Yeah. And that was like a huge part of my growth over the past couple of years is being comfortable with letting people down. You know, Glennon Doyle, my hero, talks about you can let anyone down but never let yourself down. Like you, you're the one person that you cannot betray. You can't. That's where it all comes from. And I think for, for many, many years of my life and career, I just said yes, and I did what I was supposed to do because I didn't want to let people down. I wanted people to like me. And, of course, especially as a woman, you think, well, if I leave this job, I'm never going to get another job. Mm-hmm. And I actually did feel that way in the end. I was like, oh, gosh, okay, there are finite jobs available for women. I've made a mistake. But I had to just learn to be okay with that. And I think because I keep people close to me, my co-host Angus more than anyone understood. He was like, I'm devastated, but I get it. Go live your best life. I had a fantastic boss who adored me and who I adore to this day. Um, So I feel like I had chosen the right people to have in my corner that really did understand. And my manager understood. She said, I'm not going anywhere. Like I'll keep, you know, prodding you. And she did. She got me my next job in the end. You know, like she was the one who called me and said, so money yet? Like, do you need, you know? Um, But yeah, that idea that I was letting people down was, was hard. And it's something I still struggle with, but I'm definitely getting better at. And I think because people knew I wasn't an asshole. It wasn't coming. I wasn't that person that had, you know, quit jobs every six months and stuffed people around my whole career and had a bad reputation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I'm super diligent. Yeah. I'd worked hard to let people know that I was a good person and serious about what I was doing. So they knew that if I was going to leave, well, it wasn't just a whim. And I was so sure that it was the right thing. And I'd also like, I I worked at Channel, I had a, a TV gig as well that I just left and that kind of ended badly, not with like my co-host or anything. We're still really, really close. I just, it was just a bit icky, in the, you know, when you just, it, things are icky. Mm-hmm. And um, so I felt icky about that. And then I was growing more and more just like I was living a life that wasn't my own anymore. So I had to do it. And I was so resolute that I think people just understood straight away. They were like, okay, well, we're not going to change your mind here. Um, we've offered you the money. You don't want the money. And I was, I was gone in a week. You know, it was so quick. I remember it was so quick, like neck minute, you were literally on an island. Totally. And I think once people saw the island, they were like, oh, well, of course, like, why wouldn't you do that? It was so picturesque and I was so happy. And I had such clarity when I was over there. Like it was really that whole idea of, well, who am I if I don't have this job? Because I had definitely let myself become your job consumed with my job. Yeah, Yeah. My entity, everything, you know, it was like, I was an okay person because of what I did. And that was a big part of me stepping back and, okay, well, that's not going to fly. I know I don't want to be that person that is so consumed with their job that they don't even know who they are outside of it. Mm. And if I don't have my job, do I still like myself if I'm not cool and on TV and radio and whatever? Like I have to like myself or I'm always going to be like grasping onto this career so tightly that I'll strangle it. So, yeah, yeah no, it was very clear to me it was the right thing to do very quickly. Um, a year later, it was a bit more uncomfortable when I was like, oh, shit, but it, it ended up coming good. 
Yeah. And I know, yeah, you're so happy with the the life that you have now. I can't, I can't ever imagine you being like, what if, but do you ever think about where you would be now if you actually didn't decide to do that? Yeah. I don't think I'd be working in radio. I think I would have burnt out. Yeah. Burnt out to the ground. Because I didn't, there was no passion behind what I was doing at that point. You know, I just was doing what I was told and that is, it just, there was no fulfillment. Uh, now and for the last couple of years, like that felt fucking good. Like that was like, I'm in the pocket, just in the zone. This is what I meant to do. So I think I definitely would have burnt out eventually and left radio. And I may have left on bad terms Mm. because, you know, once you start burning out and doing a bad job, that's when people get annoyed at you because you really are letting them down then when you're either not rocking up to work or rocking up and doing a bad job or being lazy. And, um, I think that's, I mean, sorry to fast forward, but I think my more recent, you know, departure, part of the reason I knew it was time was because I was starting to get a bit lazy and I was like, okay, someone else's job now. Yeah. And it's also, yeah, just circumstances so different now to when it was in the lead up to turning 30. What, what point, or I guess when you compare those two, you know, situations, where did you feel more vulnerable? I'm assuming the former as opposed to the latter. Well, I don't, that's a really great question. I think I was vulnerable for completely different reasons. Mm. This time around leaving, I had, you know, financial stability, a husband support, but I was about to become a mother Yeah, and I was so scared that I was just going to become a mother and that was just going to take over and that all of this stuff that I'd built up was just going to disappear and I would just be, just, just be a mother. It's the greatest thing in the world. Whereas the first time around, I still had youth on my side and I still, part of me knew that, well, if I, if this is the wrong decision, who cares? No one's relying on me to pay a mortgage. No one's relying on me to buy their nappies. I I don't even have a housemate. Like literally (laughs) who cares if I stuff this up, it's on me. So completely different vulnerability, but both pretty intense, but I've become very comfortable with vulnerability. And I think because the first time it worked out so well, everything eventually came good. You know, when you do things, you become more confident that, you know, the second time you do it, it's like a learned behavior. So this time around, I knew, um, and I gave myself a lot more time this time. The last time it was like, you know, I'm announcing I'm leaving, thinking about leaving, announcing and on an island in a month. This time it was a year. So, you know, that was a better way to do it. Yeah, for sure. When when you were on the the island, I I know you kind of you did a lot of um blog posts and a lot of online content which was really nice. It kind of felt like it was yeah, a good way for us to kind of keep track of how you were going and how you were kind of digesting your thoughts in real time. And I remember you you wrote an article and it was kind of dismissing the notion that 30 was the new 20. Can you tell me about this? Because yeah, yeah. people were actually I saying that, that directly to you, right? Like people yeah. were saying, Oh yeah. Like it was so, and I was like, no, it isn't. <laughs> I don't want to do my twenties again. Like <laughs> your twenties are for being an idiot and making mistakes and, you know, and being selfish and being walked over by people. So if the thirties and new twenties, fuck that. I want to be 40. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's possible. I, I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah, no, I was ready to leave my twenties behind. I was ready to like own my story a bit more and take control a bit more. And yeah, definitely. And and people did say that, oh, no, don't worry about turning 30. And I wasn't really worried. I was like, should I be worried? 
But then when you get worried when people say that, you're like, I thought I was fucking sweet, man. I'm fine. I'm all like, what do you mean? (laughs) It's like when you're pregnant and they're like, oh, you don't, you know, like, oh, don't worry about the birth. You'll be fine. And all like, oh, it's going to be tough. Or how are you feeling about the, and I'm like, well, it's got to come out. I wasn't worried. Should I be worried? Like, what? No, I'm worried. (laughs) Tell me about how many stitches you needed in your vagina, please. Um, yeah, but I, I certainly was was ready for my twenties to be over, and um, turning thirty. Where was I? I'm trying to. Oh my gosh, should I tell you where I turned thirty? Because it's really yes, long. please. But when I was younger, my, my brother's like nine years older than me, and he's like my best friend still. And we've always lived in different countries since because I moved overseas with mum and dad when I was like twelve, and he was twenty or something. So we've always lived in different countries to each other, but we've always been really close. And when I was a kid, um, a kid, I'm going to say like 17 or something, dad had died and a mum, who's a legend, was like, go traveling, go to London. You know, your cousin Jackie's there and your brother will be there soon. Just go and she took me out of school and was like, off you go. Just get some space because my mum's a legend. So I did and um, my brother and I went to Paris and we stayed at this like youth hostel called the young and happy youth hostel, which is like all my cousins stayed. It's kind of like a rite of passage in our family. And it was like, it's the shittiest place, but we had a lovely time. And then when it was time for 10, 30, 13 years later, my brother's living in Singapore. He's like 40, got four kids. He's like, well, obviously we need to go to Paris for your 30th. And I was like, okay. And he's like, well, obviously we'll book somewhere bougie because we're rich, but shall we stay the first night of the young and happy? Oh my God. Okay. So, and also at the time when I was younger, we played a lot of John Mayer. It was Heavier Things or Continuum? Continuum. No, Heavier Things. Heavier things. Don't even ask me. I literally oh, yeah. thought it's a wonderland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, yeah, we sat on the balcony, the young and happy drinking Heineken's because that's what you do in Paris, listening to John Mayer. And that was me turning 30. And, it, and then I went from, from Paris. I, you know, went on to London to try and get a job. But it was a really special way for me to turn 30. And I'm really like one of those people that like, numbers have significance. I like to put significance around things and really kind of um, reflect. So I did a lot of reflecting. And, yeah, I just knew that everything would turn out, even though I was burning through cash and all that stuff. I just had a sense that everything would turn out. It turned out, it was like a crazy month. Like it was, I mean, I'll tell the story. I go to London. I'm there for a couple of months. The first day I'm there, I meet with the head of BBC Radio 1. And he's like, no way. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm a friend Next of mine. Daddy Mac. Like, <laughs> Please. I'm like, here curls. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I walk in there thinking, oh, he's going to give me two minutes. He's probably hasn't even looked at my staff. And he sat there. He was a legend. He's like, I've seen your interviews, blah, blah, blah. Great talent. Don't let anyone tell you you need a male co-host. You can do it on your own. Don't care about the accent. I put Zane Lowe on the air. Who cares? Um, talk to talk, blah, blah, blah. Do you want a tour? Gives me a tour. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. And then he's like, what's your visa situation? And I'm like, ah. <sighs> uh, and then that was pretty much the conversation I had a thousand times over the next kind of couple months. And then uh, my manager called one day. Hello. I'm like, yeah. Uh, there's a new boss at your old network. Her name's Gemma. We never worked together, but she's called up to see if you're keen on hosting a weekend show again with Angus. And I was like, nope, been there, done that. Don't want to do it again. And she's like, well, you don't really have many other options. Like, have you got money? Like, how's London going? And I was like, let me think about it. And then I thought about it and I was like, Ash, what are you doing? You can't say no to work. You've got to trust that this is the journey you're supposed to be on. 
So I called her back. I said, yeah, I've got to come home anyway because I've got no money. <laughs> so when I come home, I'm not coming home for the job, but I will be coming home. And if she wants to have a meeting, I suppose I'll have the meeting. So then. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I book a flight home and I go out with my friends and get absolutely blotto. And the next morning I am the most hungover person that has ever walked the face of the earth. And my friend Vanessa, the scuba diver, was all for living in London by this point, of course. So she's driving me to the airport and I'll have, I've got like a Jewish pastry thing in one hand and a long black in the other and the window open and I'm like, I want to fucking die. I feel so sick and I'm so sad and I'm leaving London and I'm supposed to live here and everything I planned isn't working out and now I'm going home to take three steps back and my life's a mess. And she goes, come on, let's turn on the radio. And that was when Nick Grimshaw was still hosting. Grimmers, um, yeah. I was like, all right, we'll put it on. And it was Grimmers was on and turn it up. And they're talking about One Direction. And there was a story about Zayn. And they were like, we've actually found this interview from Australia from a couple of years ago. We just want to play your grab. And I was like, I'll put it up. It might be Hamish and Andy or Angus or someone that I know. So I turn the volume up. And then my own voice comes back at me Wow! through the radio. I had not listened to the radio in the four or five months that I'd lived in London. I hadn't even thought about it. And the moment that we turn it on, they replay my own interview back at me. That's a sign if there oh. ever was one. And Vanessa turns out, she's like, holy fucking shit. And I was like, oh my, what? That's fucked. It was like, it, I thought she'd played a joke on me. I was like, did you do this? She's like, I swear to God that like, I have no idea what that is. So that was like the moment that I was like, I'm cool. Like that is the universe saying there's still some magic in store for you. Uh-huh. You haven't stuffed it up. You're going to be fine. Get on the plane. There is purpose in this. And then within two months, Ash London Live was on the air and then I met my husband. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, so crazy. That is so hectic. And it is, yeah, it's just when you, I guess when you least expect it and it can just hit you so hard at any time, it's a kind of good lead into what I wanted to touch on next on a professional level. How have you, how have you found working in not only the the media industry, but I guess the music industry as a a female in your thirties? Well, I think if I'd been in my twenties and I did work in the in my twenties, but it was, I didn't have my own show. I didn't have mm. any power. I didn't have any currency. So I used to do interviews for a radio show, but then I would get cut out of them. Oh. So I was literally like someone just there to get grabs. And I would do these really well-researched, awesome interviews and the artists loved them because I cared so much. And then they would just get cut down to like 40 second grabs that they'd put in it you know, Carl Sanderland's take 40 show or something. But it meant that I got really good at interviewing because yeah. like if I stuffed it up, no one knew, you know Your what I mean? wasn't on it. No. So, the, no, so the labels knew me and they knew that I did good interviews and the artists knew me even though no one else in the whole world knew me. So that was really good 
Um, but I, you know, but I was still a nobody, you know what I mean? Like no one cared when I walked into the room and I would get be last on the junket list. And if I was late, they wouldn't give me another slot, you know? Um, so in my, by the time I got to my thirties, you know, I'd been in the industry for a while and I was really good at what I was doing. So I feel like a, the personality that I have, which is commanding and strong willed and, you know, B, I had in the past, let myself be walked over by bosses, other people, et cetera. And I vowed to never do that again. And C, I had Angus as a co-host for my first radio gig, who was so empowering of me and so encouraging that I think it was, and I had a great boss as well. Like, you know, I, I got very lucky and I'm not saying that I got lucky in the sense that like I am, you know, downplaying my achievements and saying it was just luck, nothing like that. Cause I worked hard. I'm good at what I do. But as far as like the people around me and I got lucky, I didn't have the asshole boss. I didn't have the asshole co-host that so many women have to deal with. That just mm. wasn't a reality for me. So I think I, and I, and I formed, yeah, I formed good relationships. And I think so many people were stoked that in a commercial setting, there was a solo female doing yes. it that I think from like a peer thing, artist thing, people were so all about that. And I had worked really hard to let people know that I was not about anything but the music. So I think in the past and probably still now commercial radio, you know, like artists come in and they expect to be caught out or I had like headline grabbing or made to play yeah. some stupid game. Um, it was like a safe space. Totally. It was a safe space. So that's what I loved. I loved, you know, it was, I guess when you look at it, three music shows at nighttime, you, me, the other one. Um, but I loved that the majority, it was like, yeah, two female solo presenters. And that's what I, yeah, just I loved that. Because <laughs> they then both, like most of them on their junkets would see both of us. And I was always really proud of that. And I remember once there was an American artist who's like, no one would even know. So I won't even say his name. And he came with his brother who was his manager. And I'd been sent to Queenstown to do a junket with, and the, like, the, lab, the label had got like all these performers from the label. And it was at the top tier. And then he was the kind of the intro guy. So I was in a car with him and his brother. And his brother was like, so tell me about your show. And I told him, he's like, oh, so where's your, where's your co-host? And I was like, oh, no, it's just me. He's like, no, I mean like the guy who like, you know, the guy. And I was like, looked at him. And then the artist, his brother was like, asshole, she does the show on her own, okay? She doesn't need a guy. And like he told him like, and he was like, asshole. <laughs> um, there were moments, and this is less about music and more about radio, where it was clear to me that I was still kind of viewed as a little girl who mm. didn't need to be paid as much as the boys. Um, and some moments where it was so overt and so obvious that I was like literally shocked because for so long gender hadn't come into it. And another way that I was lucky was that the person that took over the network and asked me to come back was a woman. So she was very much about empowering women and having women on the air. So I had a good run. Mm. But that's not to say that that is reality for many people, especially in commercial radio. All we need to do is look at the reality of it, which is that most women on commercial radio are in a duo or a trio and are the only female and there's yeah. no solo females. There However, actually I, isn't, I was, right? I was replaced by a woman though, which I was stoked about. And that was the one thing I said. I said, look, I know that I don't get a say in who replaces me, but it would really mean a lot to me if you could find a woman to put in. Like, you know, I'm not saying just 
get some random girl and put her in. Like, they're not going to do that. But, you know, we've done a really cool thing here mm. for five years. You know, I did this and they did. Abby Chatfield has kind of replaced me. It's, it's a completely different show. <laughs> it is, isn't uh, it? <laughs> but okay. it's something that, yeah, I think that's something you should be so proud of. It's like you really, it's, it's shit that you even had to almost in a way prove that it could happen, but you totally. set that up, you know? Yeah. Like you really, yeah, yeah. yeah. And my network, I just like, they were just good people. And I'm trying to think if it wasn't for Gemma, would I still had been given the opportunity and perhaps not, but you know, there were good people and there are good people at the network. I think other people may say differently. So I don't want to like speak on behalf of everybody. I can only speak to my experience um, because there is definitely, especially in the music side of it, a bit of a boys club. And I, and I come up against moments where I wanted to speak to certain things that were happening. And I was told that's not your place to say that or to, have that fight with the label or to refuse to have that artist in your studio. Mm. I was like, well, if it's not my place, whose place is it? Like if no, if no one else is going to put their hand up and go, Hey, this person is problematic. So I just went ahead and banned people from my show without making a big deal of it. And I didn't tell the bosses and didn't ask for their permission because I knew that I'd get that whole, like, that's not your place. So I was just like, well, Okay. And also sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Oh, That's something totally. I totally my time. Totally. Um, <laughs> I'll also, I mean, I, when we do look, I guess, at the wider picture, I, you would remember as well that unforgettable Aria's speech by Tina Arena being an older yeah. woman in music. Even Jack River had a really good conversation with Keita Alexander on her yeah. podcast. And, and that was about being a mum in the music industry. Keita's like mid twenties. Like she's it's insane. I'm like, how? And her partner like travels a lot. I know. Adrian goes down the road to Woolworths. I'm like, be quick. <laughs> Come back. Stay away too long. Yeah. He's amazing. Jack is amazing. That speech from Tina, like I'll stop when I'm ready to stop. Yeah, totally. So commanding. And in the audience, people, not everyone thought it was great. There was a lot of people who were oh, like uncomfortable. Yes. And they were like, the oh, like, because they're not ready to, yeah, they're not ready almost to be equipped or even just accommodate for that in the industry, older women still being around or yeah. mums. And I think it would be so much harder for artists as opposed to us presenters. But like what, what steps do you think needs to be taken so women in their 30s in, I guess, in music feel they can still have a space? I think people just need to bloody well keep buying the music. And, like, it's, it's ridiculous because I don't think consumers care. Like, I don't think audiences care. I, I agree. And it's sometimes decisions behind the scenes and you're like, the listeners don't think like we do, you know? No. Like, yeah. No. So I think, like, I was given... You know, when I said, like, I want to have a baby, I can't have a baby and do nights. They were like, no, we'll make that work for you. Like, we'll make it work for you. If you want to do it from home permanently, we can do that. If you want to do more pre-recording, we could do that. So, But that is kind of because I think a woman had taken over and really for the men and the women, for the parents in our company had really shifted things. Like she left often at 3 p.m. to go pick the kids up which was like unheard of, Mm. which meant that a lot of the dads could then tell their wives, you know what, I can do school pickup three days a week and you can go back to work. So that was um, this kind of wonderful thing that had happened at our network and allowances certainly were made for me, but that's the one in the million scenario. You know what I mean? I was one who said, no, thank you, but I'm done. I don't know many other, um, I guess like, you know, radio is a bit different because, 
we tend to have a studio at home. So I think when you get to a certain level and you have to get to that level first, you have to be Kate Ritchie or, you know, someone in that, um, they'll go, could we build you a studio at home? But for artists, it's completely different. For women who work at labels, it's even more different. Mm. So I feel like we just need to stop seeing this. I mean, it's, it's just an old trope that we've like discussed over and over again, that this isn't a female issue. It's a everyone issue. And if we all took it seriously um, and weren't so fucking worried about people dropping the ball, like no woman has a baby and drops the ball. Like it's like, we don't do that because we're so conditioned to have to work twice as hard as everybody that we will continue to work twice as hard and no balls will be dropped. You know what I mean? So that makes me angry. Um, I recently had a Brooke McClymont on my podcast from the McClymonts and I was talking to her about the same thing. Like, how did you do it? Like, how do you have kids when you have to tour? Cause that's mm. something I never have to do and you never have to do. We don't have to like then, you know, make our product and then spend six months selling our wares on the road. She had to do that. And for her, it was all about, first of all, like forgiving herself and knowing that she wasn't going to be able to be a mum 24 hours a day, but also having a support system and having a team that allowed that to happen and go, okay, cool. If that's what you want to do, we'll work around you. So I think we need those teams to go, okay, this is, you know, what you need in order for you to have it all, do it all, whatever you want to do, we will make that happen. And we just need more women in high-powered positions. I got lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. Um, But not many other women kind of have that. And I think the reckoning has certainly begun in Australia as people speak out more and um, share stories and kind of, you know, lift the veil, so to speak, on how hard it has been for women, especially women in their 30s. But, yeah, I think I I would like to think that I played and continue to play a tiny part in letting females know that you can do it you know like that's why I loved like the fact that any night of the week a girl could turn on the radio and hear two examples of a woman having her own radio show knows who knows what she's talking about and isn't token and is passionate about what she's doing and doing a great job because it's not a big deal right mm, and it means they be. hear it and go oh cool I could do that that's normal it's normal it's not a big yeah. deal and so I think that's what's going to change it's interesting what you said about Brooke um, and how she kind of, you know, learned to forgive herself and going back to even what you said earlier about being okay with letting people down. Do you think those things kind of tie in when you think about the most valuable thing that you have figured out so far about your 30s? You know, you're only a couple of years in. Do you think they would be the, the theme of what you figured out the most when we talk about figuring out 30s? Yeah, absolutely. It's um. That Brene Brown line, um, clear is kind and kind is clear. Be clear about what you want and clear about what you feel and clear about the reality. That is the kindest thing you can do. Don't sugarcoat things to not hurt people's feelings. Don't not say what you really feel because you don't want to hurt someone. That means you're lying and that's not kind because it's not truthful. So clear is kind and kind is clear. Sometimes letting people down is actually the kindest thing to do because it's the thing that is the truest and is, you know, and um, that idea that, that lie, I should say, it's not an idea. It's a lie that if I say no to work, I won't get more work. I've become very good at saying no to things because earlier on I thought, well, if I say no to this, I'll never ask again. Mm. The reality is that I'm really good at what I do. And if I've asked once, and I couldn't do it, they probably will ask again. Yeah. Or someone else will ask. More work will come. And now I love to say no. 
I yeah. like to find immense power in it. It's one of my favorite things saying no. I'm like, yeah, no, I can't do that. Because um, it's like saying yes to yourself. Like that's the exactly. other. Because you, know. you have to, I've had that many gigs where I've, I've then had to do the job I didn't want to do. I'm the one stuck in the, you know, 36 degree heat for three days, getting paid a pittance to do something I didn't want to do, but I thought I had to. Mm-hmm. And just demanding what I needed, like in situations where I did say yes, being really clear about what I needed in order to make that successful. And I had to do that because I, I decided to no longer have management, which for someone in this industry is rare, but I was like, no, I actually want to take control and do this myself, which meant learning to talk about money, learning to you know, price things, learning to say what I needed and what I was worth. And if someone told me that's too expensive to go, cool, well, I'm not changing the price. Good chat. <laughs> Good chat. You know, most people cool about it. Ash, if you had to resume that article that you did write, kind of dismissing the notion that 30s is the new 20s, you talked about the 20s, you know, not wanting to repeat it as when you're getting walked over and stuff. What, what would you, where would you pick up? Like, what would you say your 30s are for? Your 30s are for consolidating and living out all the lessons that you've learned in your 20s and putting them into practice. So I knew what not to do. And now even the things like in my 20s, I was quite irresponsible with money. I was quite irresponsible with my things. I was irresponsible with like keeping track of appointments. I was a mess. And I didn't realize how much that actually just affected other people. And I had to like learn that. So my third, and I'm still a bit El Crapo, but it's like those things, okay, I've learned those lessons in my 20s. Now I'm going to be better with my money. I'm going to take responsibility for my finances. I'm going to make sure I pay my tax every quarter. I'm going to, um, you know, keep a calendar and I'm going, you know, those things, they're hard lessons to learn, but I, I don't ever feel like I'm hiding from anything or anyone in my 30s. Everything is above board. I'm set. I have nothing to apologize for. And when I do, I learn to apologize quickly. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's enacting the lessons that you learned and not repeating your 20s. Do you know what I love as well? This entire chat, obviously, but the fact that, you know, you've touched on being a mum now and obviously want to acknowledge your adorable family and buddy, Adrian and Honey, but we haven't actually talked about that really yeah. and your role as a mum. And unless you want to chime in with anything, but I feel so at ease about everything you've said because I feel like for people listening as well, you know, the, the, the concept of family and motherhood does come in a lot, but I think just everything that you've touched on, you've always been the main character. And I think that's really important for people to remember that that kind of thing as amazing as it is. And I know you are so happy and it's beautiful, but that's not the defining factor. And I totally. think you're such an example just in this chat, like everything yeah, that we've talked about. You know? I didn't even notice, but it feels, yeah, it feels right for me as well. And I continue, like I now have a baby, but I continue to be me and I continue yeah. to do things like this because for me, you know, that's why I love that I didn't have kids till I was 35 because maybe if I'd done it earlier, I would have felt like I needed to stop doing everything and be the best mom in the world. Whereas now I'm like, hell no, like my husband can, and he has dialed back work and we share a 50-50 and we still work and we both parent. But, you know, I, I, um, I needed Ash to continue and Buddy will make life deeper and more rewarding and greater and more fun and more beautiful. But the thing I'm proudest of is that he's going to know he has a mum who does what she loves. Yep. 
he's when he is old enough to realize that and look back and see how you've taken control mm. i think he's gonna be like my mom's a fucking rock star hey i hope so he better know that i'm cool come on, buddy <laughs> like, come on man that's what it's me and taylor swift we, I was cool, right? <laughs> this yeah. is me on, like, me and Ed Sheeran piggyback. Like, hello. Mates. We have a tradition. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, but uh, I guess it's, it's a rite of passage that he's supposed to think of a loser, so I guess I'm okay with that too. <laughs> um, I guess finally, if there was anything else that you could tell younger Ash anything about turning 30, what would you say? I would say you're absolutely right. It's nothing to be scared of. And your life is going to be infinitely better. And I wouldn't tell. I wouldn't tell him. That, I wouldn't tell Ash that I'm going to meet the love of my life because meeting him was such a surprise and so wonderful that I wouldn't have wanted the surprise taken away from me. I would just say yes, life yes. is going to be infinitely better. Don't be scared. You're on the right path. That's what it is. You're on the right path. Yeah. I love it. Ash London, I have fucking loved this chat. Thank yeah, you so I love much. You. I love you so much. Thank you for having me. I feel very special. You are. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> I just noticed I think I've been bitten though. Can you see that? Oh, no, I can't. I kept looking at them the whole interview. Like in the duration oh, of the chat? Like, yeah. <laughs> I've got sensitive skin. <laughs> I can hear my baby crying, so I have to okay. go. I will let you go. Thank I loved that. That was so that nice. That was really great. If you want to hear more from Ash London, the good news is that you bloody can, my friend. Go cop her podcast. It's called the Ash London Podcast. Very easy to find, very easy to remember. Coming up next on Figuring Out 30, I'll be chatting about dating. A pretty daunting one for me because I don't usually talk about this stuff publicly, but it has been interesting to see how much the dating landscape has changed since I was last single. So I'll fill you in on what it's been like for me, where I'm at now, and you'll also hear from author and broadcaster Stacey June. And they're almost apprehensive because some book is going to magically make them break up out of their (laughs) happy relationships and make them in what is a lot of parts of the world deemed as the most horrific thing to be, and that is single. And on top of that, that is a single woman. A few weeks after my last relationship ended, I was mysteriously sent Stacey June's book, Single Pringle, and I felt pretty attacked seeing that big, bold title greet me on my work desk. And it wasn't until recently that I actually worked up the courage to read Stacey's book. I'm so glad I did because I got so much out of it and I can't wait to touch on some of the themes with Stacey herself, specifically how people can embrace single in their 30s despite society expectations. is an independent podcast produced and presented by me, Bridget Hustwaite. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Hustwaite and you can also drop me a line about the podcast anytime at figuringout30 at gmail.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe to stay across the latest episodes and if you like what you're hearing, I would absolutely love it if you could leave me a review or rating. Thank you so much for your support. I'll catch you next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.